Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And so here he is, not only killing a lion, which is an unclean animal, but then after some time passes, he he visits the place where the carcass lay. And by that time, uh, bees had developed a hive inside the carcass. So he comes by and he's touching this unclean animal. He's touching this dead thing in a vineyard that he shouldn't have been in to begin with. Do you see all all the signs? It's like, all, all these things add up, and it's like you put all of them together and you got a disaster. It was like a perfect storm. It was only a matter of time. Can I ever say enough? How amazing is your love? How can I keep it from shouting your name? I know I am loved by the King, and it makes my heart want to sing. Hi everyone, and thank you for joining us on Truth in Christ Radio. Today we see how Samson began to disobey his vows of a Nazarite. When he gathered honey from the dead carcass of a lion, he expressly violated this vow, which stipulated that a Nazarite should never touch a dead body or carcass. Samson did this after he was remarkably filled with the Holy Spirit. This shows that an outpouring of the Holy Spirit does not automatically make a person godlier. An outpouring of the Holy Spirit gives one the resources to be godlier, but it doesn't do it to them. A person can be wonderfully gifted by the Holy Spirit and yet very spiritually immature. Now let's join Pastor Rob for today's lesson. Let's get into the Word together tonight. Let's open to Judges chapter 14. Last week we got through the first nine verses. I'd like to finish uh, chapter 14 and maybe even do chapter 15. We'll see how things go. But let's just read chapter 14 up to the point where we want to begin tonight. So we're going to look at the first verse. We're just going to read through the first nine verses and then we'll get into it, okay? Remember before we do that this is the last of, of the seven, um, it's the, the last of the seven periods within the time of the judges. And this is a period of time, uh, really, that Samson, we see as a character on the scene, was a judge of Israel. And unlike the other judges that had armies that went out to battle, Samson was kind of a lone ranger. And, and so we're going to be looking at his life tonight and next week and maybe even the week following. We'll see how things go. But what we understand that the Samson's life wasn't really one of complete consecration either. Samson was a man who was led by his eyes, led by his emotions, led by his flesh. And it is a, it's true that whenever a believer is led by those things, even though they may be born again. Now, obviously, Samson was saved by faith. He didn't have the wonderful privilege like you and I have of having the Spirit of God indwell us. The Old Testament saints were saved by faith just like we are, but we have this wonderful relationship with the Spirit of God. Now he indwells us, and the Old Testament saints didn't have that. 
that luxury, that wonderful privilege, really. And so the Spirit of God would come upon them at different times. And we see that in the lives of David. We see it in the lives, uh, certainly as we go through Samson's life, we will see that where God, for his own purposes, would come upon an individual to accomplish his will. But we also see that Samson was a, um, a man, uh, of course, given over uh, and not, um, not really faithful uh, in, in, all, in everything that he, he did. But God used him, believe it or not, in spite of these personality quirks, besides these sins of his, besides these... You know, Samson was one of these individuals that liked to get right to the edge. You and I, if we're smart, when we get to the edge of something, if you, get to, if you go to the Grand Canyon and as you approach the edge of that cliff where it's a couple thousand feet drop, I personally like to stay away like a quarter of a mile just in case the wind blows really hard. But there are people who like to get up right on the edge and they like to see the sand kind of go off their shoes off into the abyss. And, and Samson was one of those individuals. He liked to see how far he could go. And whenever a life is like that, you're in very serious trouble because trouble will come to you much quicker. And you invite it, actually, by, by flirting and, and, and playing with the devil, in a sense. And so Samson was one of these individuals. So, not, not the best example, but the Bible is very clear that he, he, he's in here for a reason. And he did demonstrate some faith in the things that he did, and that's why he's listed in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. There's not much mentioned there, but it does say that he, was, he operated by faith, and we'll look at some of those things as we go. But let's look at verse 1 of chapter 14, and let's read down through verse 9, and we'll pick up in verse 10. So it says now that Samson went down to Timnah, and Timnah, if you remember, was just uh, to the west uh, of, um, of the place that he was born in Zorah. It was to the, to the uh, southwest of uh, where he was brought up in the, the area of the Philistines. And notice, he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. And so he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman. Underline the word seen and underline the word saw because it's all about the sight with this guy. Okay, And many men are like that. And that's one, one of the things that, guys, we have to, as we examine his life, we have to really examine this area of our life. And ladies, too. But for some reason, men seem to be uh, have more of a struggle with this, perhaps, than ladies do. But you've got your own issues, too, right? None of us are, are complete. <laughs> so he saw her, and he told his mom and dad to go down and get her. He says, now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. So his mother and father... Unfortunately, they, you know, they, they tried to restrain him. They say, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. In other words, she's good in my sight. Again, another indicator that Samson was more concerned about the outward appearance. He's always looking for the package. He's not looking for what's underneath, and that's a problem. So Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother, they did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. 
Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would tear a young, apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. And then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. In other words, this is another phrase where it, she was good in his sight. That's literally what it means. She was good in his sight. And after some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. And he took some of it in his hands, and he went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. And so this is really where we ended last Thursday evening. And it's interesting because we know that Samson took what we call a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow was a a vow of consecration. And uh, the angel of the Lord, which is a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah and his wife. We don't know her name, but he appeared, Jesus appeared to Manoah, Samson's mother, before he was born and told him, told her all these things about what was going to happen and how he was going to be a Nazarite from the womb. And even the Lord even pronounced a, a vow on her herself during the time uh, of her pregnancy. And, and that's as far as we know. So she, even she was under this Nazarite vow not to drink wine, certainly not to touch anything dead. And Samson was also not to cut his hair. He's supposed to leave his hair, let let it grow long, and he was not to touch anything dead. He was to be consecrated. Consecrated really just means set apart. Set apart from something and set apart to something. That's what consecration is. And that's really where Samson failed, unfortunately, pretty miserably. And so, and he gave some of this honey to his mom. And it's interesting that the lion in Levitically, in Leviticus chapter uh, uh, 11, verse 27, it says that the, the lion is an unclean animal. Levitically speaking, it's an unclean animal. They weren't to eat a lion. And so here he is, not only killing a lion, which is an unclean animal, but then after some time passes, he, he visits the place where the carcass lay. And by that time, uh, bees had developed a hive inside the carcass. So he comes by and he's touching this unclean animal. He's touching this dead thing in a vineyard that he shouldn't have been in to begin with. Do you see all the, all the signs? It's like, all, all these things add up, and it's like you put all of them together and you got a disaster. It was like a perfect storm. It was only a matter of time. But he was not very faithful to that vow, was he? And so, verse 10, it says, So his father went down to the woman. This is the Philistine woman. Her name is not mentioned. And gave a feast there for young men used to do so. And so this would be a wedding feast. It would last approximately one week. And certainly there would be wine and drinking involved. And so here we see Samson, although it's not explicitly mentioned here, based upon the uh, compromise already that he's done, I'm sure he didn't just drink water. Samson was a very sensual man. He was led more by his sight, more by his, his feelings. He was, if he had a motto, it would be, if it feels good, do it. That would be Samson's motto. 
And so he certainly, I'm sure, took part of this wine as they would celebrate. Notice verse 11, it happened that when they saw him, when the Philistines saw him, that they brought 30 companions with him, or to be with him, I'm sorry. And so what this means is that Samson didn't bring his own bridal party. As they were celebrating, the Philistines gave him 30 companions. These were Philistine men. One of them would be his best man. The, the, the friend of the bridegroom. And so here he is being provided for, for these, three, uh, for these uh, 30 men would be provided for him to be uh, friends and, to, and to, to partake in the celebration. And in fact, the, the reason we know that these were Philistine men, and not only is it very clear in context, but if you just look down in verse 16 in the same chapter here, Samson's wife, she weeps on him, and she says, You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you've not explained it to me. So we know that these are Philistine men. So go back, going back now to verse 12, it says, Then Samson said to them, Let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. Now, this is a very bad place to be. The sin that he committed with the lion going into the vineyard, killing the lion. And by God's grace, do you see God, God's grace in this? He's in a place where he ought not to be to begin with. He's not supposed to touch anything, a grape, a raisin, anything, wine, anything related to the grape at all. No fruit roll-ups, nothing. Okay? No lifesavers, grape-flavored, nothing. <laughs> so here he goes into this vineyard, and by God's grace... God also makes him accountable, doesn't it? I believe the Lord brought that lion out. And the Lord in his grace gave him the strength at that moment to overpower the lion. But if I were Samson at that moment in time, I would have thought about that. And to be thinking to myself, you know, maybe the Lord brought that lion against me to put a block, to put a hedge in my way. Didn't the angel of the Lord do that when Balaam was on his donkey? If it wasn't for that... That, that, that donkey that, he was, that Balaam was riding on had more spiritual sensitivity than Balaam did. Same sort of thing here. You know, he should have realized and woke up to what was happening. But sometimes when the Lord comes upon him to save his life, God in his grace allows him that strength, and he may have taken that as permission. Maybe he looked at the killing of the lying, saying, well, even though I'm doing this thing, it can't be that bad. I mean, after all, God delivered me, and I'm strong and handsome, you know. And so he was in a very bad place. And there's a saying that says, excuse me, sin begets more sin. And so here he is. He poses a riddle to the wedding party, these Philistines. And so when we find ourselves also taking sin lightly, we begin to lose the fear of God, or maybe we've already lost it. And that, again, is a very, very dangerous place to be. In Psalm 111, verse 10, it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. It's interesting in the... Um, if you look in, uh, you don't have to turn there, but in Psalm 111, verse 10, the phrase, his commandments are in italics, which means they weren't in the beginning. They weren't in the original, but they were added for our understanding. So it literally could read, read like this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good, a good understanding have all those who do. 
<laughs> to do God's will, right? What does it say in James? Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving our, yourselves. Because we can, we can, if we only hear and we don't do, there's no power in what we hear if we don't put feet on it. And see, that's where I think myself, and I think that's where many people really struggle in the church, is because we got a lot of head knowledge up here, but we don't always appropriate it into faith decisions that we do. We, we, we think about other people, but we never, you know, we're the last sometimes to really look at uh, these things that we read and really examine our own hearts and be challenged and let it wound us, if necessary, into submission. Because God has a good plan for your life, and he doesn't want you to continue in sin, because sin leads to death. We know that. And so when God gives us his word, it's for life. He wants you to live. He wants your life to be a blessing. Everybody smile. He wants your life to be a blessing. Don't you want your life to be a blessing? Yeah, me too. And so we have to listen. We have to listen to him, just like we did when we were kids and we listened to our parents. Things were good when I listened to my mom. But when I didn't listen to my mom, then I got the Kelvin Klein treatment. The Kelvin Klein belt would come out, and it was a real thin one too. And she would apply the Board of Education to the seat of learning. So it's important for us to do what the Lord says. And when we do them, what do we do? We experience the blessing of God. And aren't there blessings for obedience? In Deuteronomy chapter 7, let me just read. You can just write this reference down, but let me just read it for the sake of time here. Uh, in, in the very first, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the first 11 verses really speak of the prohibitions of the children of Israel when they, when they come into the land, when they come into the promised land. And then in verse 12, it says this, Then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments, and keep and do them, he says, if you do these things, that the Lord your God will keep you, will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers, and he will love you, and he will bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your land, your grain, your new wine, your oil, the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flock, and the land which he swore to your fathers to give to you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall be not, a, not be a male or a female barren among you, or among your livestock. And you will take away from all of your, and the Lord will take away from you all sickness, and he will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt which you have been, which you have known, but he will lay them on all those who hate you. Also you shall destroy all the peoples whom the Lord your God delivers over to you. Your eyes shall not have pity for them, nor shall you serve their gods, for that will be a snare to you. So there are great blessings for obedience. For walking with the Lord, it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life, Mary. It's a wonderful life. But when we are disobedient, the Lord chastens. He chastens those whom he loves. And do you think that a father loves to do that? No father loves to do that. It's the least thing that I like to do. I'd much rather be sick in bed than to have to discipline my daughter. But you have to do it, don't we? And God does it to us as well. I love what it says in Proverbs. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Notice, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Did Solomon, did he despise wisdom and instruction? He did, didn't he? Because the Lord had put a vow on him. He knew very well what that vow, what it entailed and what was required of him. 
And he didn't really care about it. He just kind of was footloose and fancy free. In Proverbs 15, verse 33, I love this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And I love this part. And before honor is humility. Humility. Samson's character, unfortunately, was not one that exemplified humility. He was a man, and he was strong when the Lord came upon him. And I'm sure even in the natural, he was probably pretty strong. And when the Lord came upon him, the Lord gave him this wonderful gift to, be, to really be just like a, the Incredible Hulk. And the Bible says that the gift and the callings of God are without repentance. That means when a God gives a gift to an individual... When you are in the womb, God outfitted you. He already had a plan for your life. He already knew what he was going to do. He knew the gifts that you were going to have, and he placed them there in your soul by design. And as you begin to grow and blossom, and as you get to know him, you you begin to understand those things. You see the gifts working in your life. And what a treasure, what a blessing it is to, for the believer to know the gifts that God has given you. Because then you can actually, once you know that you have that gift, then you start using it as often as the Lord leads you. And be excited and happy about it. And don't covet somebody else's gift. Because not everybody has all the gifts. So Samson, unfortunately, was not one of those people who demonstrated humility. I used to know a, a, a young man, because I was a young man at the time, younger man. Still a young man, aren't I? <laughs> uh, knew, knew a man in college that if I could, if I thought, if I thought of anybody that I knew that was like a Samson, this this gentleman was just like Samson. He was very loud, very boisterous, very confident of himself. Good-looking guy. All the ladies loved him, and he was very promiscuous. He was very gifted. One of the most gifted men I've ever known. I mean, this guy could do everything. No kidding. He was just one of those individuals. It just seemed like the Lord just touched him with everything. And he, he recently passed away. He was like, uh, I think, 49, maybe 51 years old, tragically. But he was one of these individuals that I believe was like Samson. I wish I didn't have to say that, but, it, but I believe it's true because I knew him for four years. But that's the way Samson was. Notice in verse 12, at the end of verse 12, it says that if you can solve the riddle for me in these seven days of the feast, notice what he said to them, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. Notice these are two separate things. Notice, underline them, 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. Clothing, as you know, was a way that they would barter in those days. Sometimes you could be paid in clothing. Sometimes something of value, something of value, much of the time, was clothing. It wasn't something where you could just go and get it so easily at Kohl's or Nordstrom or Lord and Taylor or something. Or, you know, they didn't have that kind of thing. So clothing was expensive. And to have several sets of clothing, wow, that's really something. So when he's making this riddle and putting this, this, uh, these 30 changes of linen and 30 changes of clothing on the line, really what he's doing is gambling, isn't he? Do you see that? Because that's literally what gambling means. I actually looked it up in the dictionary just to make sure that my mind was on straight. It, it says, uh, uh, gambling is to play games of chance for money or to take risky action in the hope of a desired result. And isn't that exactly what Sol- or Samson is doing here? He's taking a chance. One of us is going to get it. And he's playing this game. He might as well have been at the roulette table. What does this say about a character? 
Is gambling wrong? I believe it is, because you're hoping on things that you don't have. What does James say in chapter 4 of his letter? He says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is a vapor that appears for a little time, and certainly Samson was not an old man. He was a young man in his prime, and what is he doing? His life was a vapor, but now he's playing with it. He's, he's gambling. He's, he's promiscuous. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.